Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the Tom Harbin Program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio, and every U.S. military base in the world, and your electronic device via TuneIn, Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app, and simulcast as television via Free Speech TV Network on Dish Network, DirecTV, and cable systems all over the country. Congressman Ro Khanna is on the line with us. He'll be taking your calls. Congressman Khanna represents uh, the Silicon Valley area in the U.S. House of Representatives, the 17th District of California. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website is Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov, and you can tweet him at Rep Ro Khanna. Congressman, welcome to the program. Great to be back on, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us. So I'm curious your thoughts on the political landscape that we're facing. And in particular, I know that, you know, you've been working on Bernie's campaign and are supportive generally of, you know, progressive candidates. Today's New York Times has a front page story saying that Joe Biden is the only guy who can beat Trump, essentially, or at least that's how it's being played. Certainly it was on Morning Joe this morning on MSNBC and I'm guessing in other media. What do you know about that poll and what do you think about that line of logic? You know, I had thought that I mean, we just saw a week earlier a poll that showed that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders between the two of them. And if you add in Andrew Yang, who I think, you know, has some very progressive positions, those three took 43 percent as opposed to 41 percent being held collectively by Joe Biden, Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg, the so-called moderate candidates. So that's my riff. What's yours on this? Well, the establishment tries to plant one of these stories every few months, but it has no basis. First of all, if you had believed the polls, Donald Trump would never have been president. I mean, I think every poll showed Hillary Clinton winning up through Election Day. And the reality was that we didn't get the turnout we needed. We didn't get the turnout in African-American areas. We didn't get the turnout from young people. Uh, So whoever our nominee is has to be able to excite people. Second, the lesson from 16 is that the status quo is not going to work. People are skeptical of what's happened the last 40 years with the deindustrialization, the stagnation of wages, the offshoring of jobs, and they want a change in direction. Now, they voted for a change that was a bad change, a terrible change, but they're not going to be convinced to say, okay, let's just go back to the status quo. What they're going to be convinced by is offer us a positive change, and that's what Bernie Sanders does. He's won these battleground states. I believe we need someone like him to be able to defeat Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, Republicans have been running base strategy campaigns since the 1980s, and it has more often than not really worked well for them. And Democrats have been trying to do this, uh, you know, cut the baby down the middle thing. And, you know, it doesn't seem... Well, I don't think that's what got President Obama elected. I think what got him elected was, and for that matter, Bill Clinton, was the fact that they are two of the most gifted politicians of our time. I agree with that. And the other point is that Bernie Sanders connects not just with the base. I mean, he will get the base out. But independents are very drawn to his message, as are working class people and the working class. So 
he can build the coalition that's needed in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Wisconsin. And I'll tell you, look, I'm from the suburbs of California in part, and the suburban Republicans are going to vote against Trump anyway. So I don't think we should be targeting our campaign to what suburban voters making over $100,000 are going to think. And that's really uh, where some of the establishment thinking is. It's misguided. We need to win back the working class. We need to win independence. We need to focus on Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, some of these battleground states where Bernie Sanders does very, very well. Yeah, I'm with you. So let's pick up some phone calls here. Congressman Ro Khanna is with us taking your calls. And uh, Joe in Cupertino, you're on the air with your congressman. Congressman, I really appreciate all you're doing for Bernie. My question here is that over the weekend, the, unre- the redacted version of the Mueller report became available. I have not had a chance to read through it, and I'm not sure how much have you. But I think that it's really pretty early in this inquisition, if you will, that we should reserve judgment on what we're going to pursue as far as uh, impeachment, if you will, until we get a chance to look at the report. CNN is reporting that there's a wealth of information in this report that really does implicate that it would be unfair to say that Trump won the election. So rather than give him that, I think we should at least look and wondered if you'd had a chance to take a look at that. Joe, I agree with you that we shouldn't restrict what the impeachment articles will be about. I mean, the focus is going to be on the president's abusing his office in directing Zelensky in Ukraine to investigate Biden. But there already has been tremendous work to outline the obstruction of justice, to outline the Russian interference in our election and how that tainted the electoral process. And I anticipate that the Judiciary Committee will include uh, some articles of impeachment that cover what the Mueller report found. Al, in Beverly Shores, Indiana, you are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Good to be on with you, Congressman, and thank you for all your work with the Justice Democrats and the the Sanders campaign. Let's win this time. My question is about the Federal Reserve's intervention in the repo market, and I'm wondering what you know about it. My understanding is that since September 15th, every single night, the Federal Reserve has been injecting hundreds of billions of dollars a night into the banks as a bailout. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what, if you know anything about it, and why hasn't it come out to the people? Thank you, Congressman. I appreciate, Al, your perspective on the Justice Democrats. I am not aware, I will look into this, that the Fed is uh, is still injecting resources into bailing out the banks. I mean, I know they did that back in 2008, and my view was that they didn't do enough for the homeowners underwater. A lot of the bailout money went to banks, and even the federal TARP money was used largely by banks. But my understanding is that that's not continuing, but I correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm certainly happy to, to look into it. Zach in San Francisco, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hello. Oh, my God. I can't believe I got you guys. Congressman, thank you so much for everything you've done. My question is, I have been sick for about three and a half years with this mystery illness. I just got approved for my SSI claims and stuff like that. But the government, the state is going to be taking it's money back that it's been giving me from like general assistance. So my question is, why is the, the government coming after my SSI check when, when the Pentagon lost $21 trillion and everybody's complaining about free college, free health care, and free this and free that, but the Pentagon lost $21 million. And I'm just curious, why has no one said anything about it? And why is Congress really doing nothing about it? Yeah, well, first of all, I hope, Zach, you're feeling better. I understand that Zach has an illness and he's on Social Security insurance. And his concern was that the state now is taking away some of his other benefits when he's on Social Security insurance. And why is that given the increase in our defense costs? And it's a very legitimate question. I mean, our defense costs have increased almost $100 billion since Donald Trump has been president. Think about this. Since Bill Clinton has been president, they've almost doubled. I mean, Bill Clinton left defense at around $400 billion, and we're approaching $730 billion. And to put it in perspective, you could get free college everywhere 
everywhere for $80 billion. And certainly you could fund Social Security insurance to pay a living wage as opposed to the 13000 or so a year that it currently covers. And you could make sure that people are able to live if they have chronic illness or disability. So I am sympathetic to Zach's point and agree with it. Uh, and I'm working on legislation actually to increase Social Security insurance and SSDI so that people can afford to live if they're disabled. Bill, watching Free Speech TV in Sebastian, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Yes, good afternoon, gentlemen. Yesterday, C-SPAN had a segment on Medicare, and seven out of the ten callers endorsed Medicare for all. I was part of that, and I endorsed Bernie as well and informed the uh, viewers that Bernie was marching for civil rights, voter registration, and decent wages back in the 60s. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Well, thank you, Bill. Thank you for your support for Medicare for All. You're right that overwhelmingly people back it, and that's because they know it will mean better coverage at less cost and more people covered. The economists have made that case, and people understand intuitively that if you get rid of the excessive insurance profits, if you get rid of the excessive drug profits, if you get rid of the excessive hospital profits, you're going to have better care for more people. At a lower cost. <laughs> At a lower go. cost. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, it's pretty common sense. I mean, you, you know, Senator Warren has put out her plan, and I'm glad that, uh, you know, some of the more quote-unquote establishment economists now are saying what Senator Sanders has been saying all along, that the total health care costs will go down, that more people will be covered, that they're going to get better benefits, that they're not going to have to pay premiums or deductibles. And the reason you're going to have this saving is that you're taking insurance costs out of it, drug costs out of it. It's important to understand, by the way, that one of the reasons that some of these institutes estimate that federal expenditure is going to increase, and all of them still concede, by and large, that the expenditure is going to be less than the current system. But they say, we're going to have to have more federal expenditure. And they literally have this in there that the rate of utilization is going to go up. Well, in non-jargon, that means more people are going to use health care, and that's a good thing. The reason some people aren't getting doctor's appointments or using health care is because they fear the costs. And so if the more people are going to go get screening and more people are going to go to the doctor and we're still going to have less cost, that is something that's improving the health care system. Quick question. You know, we've seen Elizabeth Warren over and over again in the debates where the moderators try to basically badger her into saying, yes, I'm going to raise taxes to pay for this. But my recollection is that in the Supreme Court case that legitimized Obamacare while blowing a hole in the side of Medicare or Medicaid, excuse me, that the Supreme Court ruled that your payments, that the payments that you're making basically for Obamacare were actually a tax and therefore it was constitutional because the Constitutional authorizes taxation. So can you argue, I mean, has the Supreme Court basically said that no, your taxes aren't going to go up because what you're paying to the health insurance company right now, the Supreme Court has already recognized as being a tax. Or, that's or, a great or point. They're wrong. No, that's a great point, Tom. I mean, the Affordable Care Act that Biden is uh, proposing and that Buttigieg basically is proposing the Affordable Care Act plus a public option, they already have what the Supreme Court calls is a tax when you're asking people or that they pay a certain amount in fees. Right. And that's one thing that no one is answering. When Biden and Buttigieg aren't saying why the four or $5,000 they're going to require individuals to pay for the health care doesn't constitute a tax. So these are semantic games that are being driven to make unfair arguments against Medicare for all. But I read... Agreed. Uh, sir, I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're hitting the break again. We'll be right back. Say hello to Casper. No, not the ghost. The sleep company with outrageously comfortable products that help everyone sleep and live better. Their ultimate goal is a world well-slept. From award-winning mattresses to pillows, bedding, and furniture, Casper is transforming the way we sleep. With over 50,000 five-star reviews, it's the most loved and trusted sleep company, so don't lose sleep over finding the perfect bed. The four layers of premium foam are designed to provide pressure relief for all-night comfort. Zone support is designed to provide extra support to keep your back aligned. We, Louise and I have a Casper bed. It's great. With bedding, bed frames, even glow, a magical light for better sleep, Casper has everything you need to complete your dream bedroom. Need, need time to decide? Sleep on it. Casper mattresses come with a 100-night risk-free trial. 
Rest easy with free shipping and free returns. Get the mattress of your dreams today. Go to casper.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, and use the code Tom, T-H-O-M, for $100 towards the purchase of select mattresses. That's casper.com slash Tom, code Tom, to get $100 toward the purchase of select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. See casper.com slash terms. Customer experience and product reviews are based on casper.com, authorized retailer sites, and Google. Welcome back. Tom Herman here with you. Congressman Rokana on the line with us, taking your calls. And we had a little bit of a hiccup there toward the end. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but Congressman, did you want to finish a thought? Well, I uh, apologize for that internet service that went down in the House, uh, but we're back up. You know, I think I had finished my point on Medicare for all, so we can just go to the next next question. Okay, we'll move along. Charles in Hollywood, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. How you doing, Congressman? Hi, Charles. How you doing, Tom? I love your show. Thank you, Um, My question is this, sir. Last week, Elizabeth Warren, she came out with her plan, I mean, or the numbers, for what um, her Medicare plan or Medicare for All plan is supposed to be. And, you know, it just seems as if we're always trying to appease the right, the the right-wing media. I mean, I don't know if everybody, even you guys listen to Fox all the time, but Donald Trump, when he was campaigning in 2016, the only thing he said was, I can get it done, I can do it right. And that's all he needed to say. And I'm just trying to figure out why do we, why is it, why is it that we always feel like we have to do everything that Fox News is saying? I mean, I don't get it. I don't get our messaging, and I don't get the reason why we feel, or I feel like we don't have enough people that's just willing to fight. I just feel like, you know, we're always trying to fall in line with a so-called majority. And even when you said earlier that um, you don't think that um, we need to worry about the suburban votes, I think it's because... The reason why that's such a big issue is because they're going to get rid of some of our voters. They're going to eliminate some of my people, you know, off the voting list. And when are Democrats going to show the backbone that we need to change what's going on in the country that's sliding far right? Thank Thank you, Charles. Well, Charles, I appreciate it, and I agree with your point. I mean, we should be campaigning saying Medicare for All is going to mean more benefits, more people covered, less costs, more jobs. Uh, that was the simplicity with which Trump sold his plan on health care, which actually did the exact opposite, which kicked people off health care, which is raising premiums. The challenge has been not, frankly, Fox News. The challenge has been people like Pete Buttigieg, who's unfairly accused Warren and Sanders of evasiveness. And so they had to put out a plan to show that actually their plan costs less for people than what Buttigieg's Medicare for those who can pay the insurance fees would cost. And it's unfortunate that we have candidates on the debate stage attacking Warren, attacking Sanders, instead of putting forth their own ideas. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hello, Tom, and hello, uh, Representative uh, Khanna. I am calling today about tomorrow is the 1st of November, which means that it's election time. And as everybody should know, every year in the United States, there is an election, including in my uh, home state of Pennsylvania. Every year we have an election. And this year we have elections for as high as state Supreme Court and to the lowest for things like local county commissioner or township commissioner. And my question is, why is it we don't take these off-year elections seriously? Because as far as I'm concerned, every election is important from, uh, you know, the local county commissioner or sheriff to all the way up to the president of the United States. Jared, I agree with you. Sometimes the local elections are the most important in terms of a person's education or what their county government is doing. Uh, My father is a local precinct uh, uh, leader uh, in uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and I know uh, he's active in the local elections coming up uh, uh, tomorrow. So I I hope everyone will go out and vote and understand that uh, we need to obviously pay attention to the presidency or Congress, but uh, a lot of uh, local uh, decisions uh, affect people's lives, and we should take these elections much more seriously. 
Uh, John in Minneapolis, you're on the air with Congressman Cano. Thank you for your support of Bernie Sanders. But I went to the Bernie Sanders rally, uh, and Ilhan Omar was there, uh, Nina Turner was there, and Keith Ellison, and it was just tremendous. The enthusiasm in that crowd I've never seen in my life uh, for politics. And, you know, this is the kind of politics that people want. They want progressive politics because it offers them a vision and it brings people together voluntarily to actually achieve that and that was what was stressed by each one of those people and it was just a beautiful thing to see I, there were people all all ages i went with somebody that is 79 and he loved it he was just so odd you know being he was he's jewish and it just made him feel very proud he's from the same area of New York City that Bernie Sanders is from. So your question, John. That enthusiasm and whatnot is not represented in the press. And so we have to grow a movement that is so large that they just can't ignore us. And it was Bernie that brought Medicare for all to the fore. He had to run for president in order for us to get our broken media system to be even to be able to talk about it when it was just common sense. And I think this is the turnoff. John, thank you for going to the rally, and I agree with you that too often in the media reporting, too often in the polls, the enthusiasm, the inspiration isn't captured. Uh, I believe that's what wins elections, organizing, inspiring people, giving people a reason to go out and vote. And Bernie Sanders is very clear about why he wants to run. He wants to actually improve people's lives. He wants to make sure people have health care, education, that we invest in infrastructure and jobs. And uh, I'm convinced with uh, a movement that we can get these policies enacted. Louise in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You're on the air with Congressman Cano. Well, first off, I'm a Bernie supporter, <laughs> and I work at his campaign. But I wanted to make a comment on, uh, and thank you for taking my call, on uh, Maria Butina. She she was in jail, and she it was working with the Russians and the NRA. And I remember when Trump called on her and said, oh, are there any Russians in the audience? Of course she was. And she said, oh, stop the sanctions and that. I mean, look at all those connections, and you barely heard of it. She just She just was sent back to Russia. Why wasn't, uh, I mean, maybe I missed it, any attention paid to that. That was, like, major, I thought. I appreciate you raising that, and uh, we will look into it and, and make sure that we are diligent about raising that issue. Judy in Denver, Colorado, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Thank you. Mr. Khanna, currently our elections have been stolen for 20 years by Republicans, not the Russians. Our votes are counted by a computer program that Republicans have complete control of. No one gets to see it. No one gets to see it before or after an election. So what are you going to do about making sure all our votes are counted? Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, tens of thousands of votes were not counted because of this. Well, Judy, I appreciate uh, your raising this issue. I am concerned about our election security. This is why the House has passed a bill to say we need paper ballots. We need the Senate to act on it. We also need to make sure that the polling places are open. In last election, they selectively shut down polling places in predominantly African-American areas and minority areas. And we have to prevent the purging of roles. I mean, what uh, has happened in certain states, and Tom knows this, is uh, voters have just been eliminated from Secretary of State roles. So there is a systematic attempt to disenfranchise people in this country. We have to stand up like people did in the civil rights movement to fight for voting rights again in this country. Jim in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Cotta. Hello, Congressman. Hello, Tom. I'm going to uh, parrot that last comment. Uh, 300,000 people were just thrown off of Georgia's voting rolls. The election is fixed. And this is how the Republicans got Donald Trump in, and this is how they're going to get him, get him in again. But what are you doing about it? I know you're aware of it. What are you doing about it? Well, Jim, we're doing all that we can from one chamber, one branch of government. I mean, we in the House have passed uh, bill after bill to 
reinstate the protections on the Voting Rights Act, to, to have paper ballots, to make sure that uh, we are funding the protection of federal elections. The problem, of course, is the Supreme Court guided the Voting Rights Act. The Senate is unwilling to pass any of these legislative proposals. So it really is going to require, in my view, again, citizen activism of the kind we saw in the civil rights movement to fight for these rights. Uh, but I share your frustration and your anger. Yeah. Nola in Inglewood, California. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Good afternoon, Tom. I'm the one who called about provisional ballots in last November. Computer voting is coming to the county of Los Angeles. I want to keep Maxine Water in office. What do I do? Not vote? Well, I appreciate it. I, I, I still think you need to vote. I am less concerned about the fraud in California, though it can happen, given that our Secretary of State there and uh, Governor there. Uh, but we need paper ballots, even in California, to make sure that fraud doesn't take place. And, and I think even if you believe that there are places which don't have fraud, uh, there's enough doubt in the system that you should be for paper ballots just to reaffirm people's faith in the transparency of the democratic process. Fred in Bremerton, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Kata. Hi, thank you for taking my call, Congressman. I just saw on the news today that there is something about Khashoggi's murder that was instigated or initiated by Kushner. Green-lighted. Yeah. So where do we stand as a nation on this? Are we going to become a country of thugs? Well, Fred, I appreciate you raising that. And Khashoggi, of course, was murdered precisely because he was writing about the largest humanitarian crisis in the world, which is the Yemen war. And Bernie Sanders and I passed a war powers resolution to stop our refueling. The administration vetoed that resolution, but voluntarily in response to congressional pressure, suspended the refueling. It has led to some efforts in Yemen with the UAE now talking about pulling out. Uh, you have the ceasefire in Hodeidah. But Congress needs to do a lot more. We need to make sure we, I have an amendment in the National Defense Authorization that would suspend any military support for Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen. Uh, I hope that continues to stay in the final passage and that Congress continues to act to hold the Saudis accountable for the murder. Ken in Seattle is now KBCS. Uh, Ken, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Congressman Jayapal is my representative, so you know where I'm coming from. What really irks me and what I'm really concerned about is the messages. The messages, the messages. You're preaching to the choir. We know what we need to do, but we need you to get the message clearly stated with not only the facts which were presented by all of you, but Congressman, you know, it's all well and good that it's going to be cheaper. You're not going to get, you're not going to lose this, you're not going to lose that, but you're not really giving a very clear, definitive response to the questions that are being asked by the electorate out there, you know, that we need. I'm talking about the people on the fence. I'm talking about the, the people that have concerns that aren't being addressed in these primary debates where everybody's backbiting each other. Where's the leadership from the top of the Democratic Party? You know, I mean, I don't quite understand why you guys go over, generically speaking, the same things over and over and over, and you're not giving us any clear information, clear messages. Everything is still generic. Everything is a generality. Let's get the and Congressman's I, response, Ken. Ken, well, I appreciate uh, the, the feedback. We're trying to, to get the message out that uh, here's what Medicare for All will mean for families. They aren't going to have to pay thousands of dollars in premiums uh, anymore. They will get long-term care. They will get dental care. They will not have these deductibles and co-pays. Uh, and the cost is going to be borne uh, by uh, eliminating the insurance company profits and drug profits. Uh, I, I think that is uh, the essence of Medicare for All and, and the message that we tried to, to uh, convey. And Jim in Miami, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. We have just a minute to the break, Jim, so quick one, please. Okay, real quick. I'm in my early 70s. I got vote as early as you can. And last year I got your signature was rejected as a mismatch. I'm, I just want the voting, our votes have to be counted. I think they want everybody to vote by electronics. 
Jim, I appreciate uh, the hurdles that uh, we have with uh, vote matching uh, requirements, vote ID requirements. I mean, we have put up still many barriers to voting, and most of them fall on people who are either uh, seniors or people who are in minority communities. Uh, and it is a systematic effort to, to get people uh, uh, to not count people's votes. I'm supportive of more electronic efforts for voting, but there has to be verification with paper ballots. You see that happening? On paper ballots? Yeah. Yeah, I know you passed Well, it. look, you know, Mark Pocan, it it's his bill. It was introduced into the House. The House passed it. The next Democratic president needs to make it a priority. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Louise and I have been using CBD oil for a while now and love it. CBD does not get you high, so it's great for people who want the health benefit of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. It, CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the United States, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's n-u-leafnaturals.com, and save 30% and receive free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to n-u-leafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's really only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's n-u-leafnaturals.com, code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M, newleafnaturals.com. And welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you, Congressman Ro Khanna on the line, taking your calls for the hour. Ralph in Huntington Beach, California. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hey, Congressman Khanna. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted you to follow up on the uh, subpoena issue, how they can get away with not complying with the, with the subpoenas. Well, they're in violation of the law. I mean, they're claiming executive privilege. The reality is that you can't claim executive privilege if the inquiry concerns a crime. And what we need to do is for the courts to enforce the subpoena and then require these people to testify. The, the question is just whether the courts are going to be willing to do that. Do you see this going to the Supreme Court anytime soon, sir? I do think that some of this may end up in the Supreme Court, but the unfortunate uh, reality is we cannot wait on that, nor do we need to wait on that. I mean, here's what we know. We know that the president violated the law and had a month-long effort with many people involved to pressure Zelensky to investigate Joe Biden, and they withheld and conditioned military aid on Zelensky doing that. Those facts we, we know. What the additional testimony will continue to shed light on is how involved this conspiracy was, how many people knew about it, how elaborate it was. It seems every time from the public testimony that someone new testifies, the facts keep getting worse and worse and worse. So it may make take years before the American people know the full truth, but we already know enough to move forward on impeachment. Richard in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. One of the other callers asked a question about taking people off the rolls, and you gave a really good answer that you're, you know, half of the Congress can't do anything about it. But it's been four years since this happened practically, and it's a topic that I don't think most Americans even know about, or they've heard about it, and it hasn't been. I mean, this is a really a fundamental thing, the right to vote. The Republicans have taken that away from people. And it's not enough just to try to do something in court. You've got to do what the Republicans do. you just got to shout about it every minute. Richard, I agree with you. I, one of my honors is serving with John Lewis, who was beaten on the Edmund Pettus Bridge for the right to vote in 1965. If you talk to him, he'll tell you that the battle is still going on today and that they, you need, we need the same activism, the same energy that we had in the civil rights movement. And it's sad that over 50 years later, this country, we still are fighting for the right to vote. We still are dealing with our original demons and original sin of slavery. It really is an extraordinary situation, Congressman. What should people be looking for in the week ahead? 
we will continue to move forward in trying to get as much of the fact-finding on, on these issues. And I do want to mention, because, Tom, you've been so eloquent on PG&E, I, I represent the district in California with the wildfires. We need PG&E to become a public utility. Thank you for getting those facts out for people to understand that. That's great. That's great. Congressman Ro Khanna. Uh, Congressman Khanna, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thank you. Great talking with you. Susan in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Susan, what's up? Hi, Tom. Yeah, I'd just like to make a point on the talk of democracy and restoring it. We can actually look at the campaigns right now, in my opinion, because um, when you don't have corporate donations in your campaign, that's a sure sign as you're letting people decide. Mm-hmm. And Bernie is our most successful at that. Yep. I mean, he, and and Elizabeth Warren is doing really well, too. They were within a half a million dollars of each other in terms of total donations. And they're both at the top of the pack, and neither one of them are taking corporate money or billionaire money. I think what it does is it tells all of us that small-D democracy, grassroots power, people... You know, the, the American people still believe in the idea of democracy and they still believe in the possibility that the American government can actually work for the average person instead of the billionaires. And I suspect that a lot of Americans have figured out how difficult that's going to be. If Bernie or Elizabeth Warren become president, they're going to have to take on the Supreme Court. They're going to have to take on the Koch brothers. They're going to have to take on the entire institutional Republican Party. They're going to have to take on big corporations like Amazon, Facebook. It's going to be war, politically speaking. But if we don't have this, if we don't, if we don't get through this, I think all is lost. Susan, thank you. Morris in Long Beach. Hey, Morris, what's up? Yeah, Professor, let me tell you something. I don't care how much money they raise. They're going to lose the election. You got that? They can raise a billion dollars. They're going to lose. I sure hope you're right, Morris. I mean, that's what we saw in 2018 when we retook the House. And I hope it's going to replay. But I think that was a big wake up. And the billionaires have been pouring money in like there's no tomorrow ever since. Well, they need voters. Students ain't voting for them. Middle class was left up. They ain't voting for them. Yeah, but most students don't vote, period. Well, they voting right now, brother, because we promised them we're going to relieve your student debt. They don't have <laughs> enough white nationalists to put the guy in the office. Well, that's Trump's number one ally. Trump's number one ally, Professor. I ain't written 24 books like you. But I believe this. Trump's number one ally is not the billionaire class. Trump's number one ally is the DNC. When I heard you say that the DNC had $8 million, that's why I decided to call you. If you put the mob in charge, you know, uh, Ocasio-Cortez and them, they'd have $80 million overnight. Yeah. Am I telling the truth? Yeah, I know. There's some rumbling about Tom Perez and the DNC, and the DNC is still walking down the middle and not taking progressive positions because, you know, more than half of their members are not progressive. The Progressive Caucus represents a little less than half of the Democrats in the House of Representatives. And that's changing actually very, very rapidly, Morris, if you look over the last decade. I mean, radically rapidly, but we've still got a ways to go. And I have a feeling there's going to be more of that kind of change as we go into primary season next spring. But, you know, we'll just have to let it shake out. Morris, thanks for the call. It's always nice to hear from you. Jeremy in Woodland, California. Hey, Jeremy, what's up? I'm a little bit in a disagreement with your caller right before me, Morris from Long Beach. Mm -hmm. I'm very concerned about the money disparity. Yeah, me too. Uh, My belief is, is that as long as the Electoral College exists, money will always be an issue. Yes. Because... Well, even without the Electoral College, money will be an issue because they can carpet bomb you with advertising. Well, I, I understand that, but, but I'm, I'm looking at the fact that the Electoral College elects presidents, right. not the general population. Right. And so when you look at states like Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota, they have as many electoral people as California does. Right. Well, and actually, it, no, they don't money, have as many electors. You get one elector for each of your two senators. They have the same number of senators. And then you get one right, elector right, for each exactly, member of the House. So California okay. has an additional, what, 34 electors. Montana has one, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. But your, but your point about the Electoral College is absolutely right. And that's why all of this focus is happening on six or seven potential swing states. They're putting Everybody's putting all their money and effort into those states. And that's where the election is going to be decided because of the Electoral College. Steve in New Boston, Michigan. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I got a, a three-part question all regarding voting. Okay. I've heard you say, and I agree with you, that we should all find out if we are registered voters. First part of the question is, how do we do that? 
second part okay, of the well, question. Let me is, just take these one at a time, if I may, Steve. Okay. Here in okay, Oregon, okay. here in Oregon, I can log on to the Oregon Secretary of State's website and see my own voter registration and make sure that it's it my address right and, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. It's all right there online. I would be surprised if Michigan hasn't done the same thing. So I would start with the Secretary of State's office just to plug into a search engine, Michigan Secretary of State voter registration, put those words in and see if it pops up. Mm -hmm. Second question. Okay. Second question, people that receive absentee ballots, is that a guarantee because I get an absentee ballot from my county clerk's office that I am a legally registered voter? The laws vary from state to state is one of the problems, Steve. There are no federal standards for voting or election laws, which is something that you know we, need, we all need to have a conversation about. So I don't know the exact policy in the state of Michigan. And in some states, you can only get an absentee ballot if you can prove that you are, you know, in trouble somehow or you're sick or you're out of state. In other, you know, they, they make it very hard. In some of the states, you can only get it once and you've got to reapply every time you want it. And in some states, and I believe California is one of them, you can put yourself on the permanent absentee ballot list and you, and you, and basically you have vote by mail. Vote by mail works spectacularly well here in Oregon. Washington State has picked it up. They're doing it there too. But uh, so you need, what you need to do is too. you need to check with your secretary of state's office. And what was your third question? Third piece of that question? The third one is back in 2016, we heard there was something like 90,000 Michigan voters that were not counted. When this happens, if you are a valid voter in the state, if you are suddenly kicked off of the rolls, shouldn't you be notified that you are no longer a registered voter in this state? So yeah. that you have a chance to redo it instead of just say, okay, you, you took all your time, you stood in line, you did your part, and now your vote don't count. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's actually a couple of issues in Michigan. The first was that uh, several hundred thousand people were removed from the voting rolls, and probably some of them had moved out of state or died, which is the excuse that they always use. But no doubt, lots of them simply lived in areas that had a lot of Democratic voters, particularly around Detroit and Flint, number one. And number two, the 80,000 number, as I recall, there were 80,000 people who voted all the down-ballot stuff and never voted for president. And, of course, Trump won Michigan by, what, 15,000 votes or something like that? Those votes were all out of the Detroit area. And, of course, Rick Snyder, the white Republican power structure, was saying, well, it's because those people in Detroit are just, you know, dumb people or something like that. No. Well, we've heard it. You had the same name as somebody else. Well, just because you got the same name should not mean you should be able to vote. That's right, especially if it's a common name. Steve, thanks for the call. Okay. This is all stuff that we really, really need to be fixing. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and Jewel in O'Brien, Florida. Hey, Jewel, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, good to talk to you. I've been watching you ever since you first came on Free Speech. Well, thank you. First time caller, though. Okay. And what I wanted to talk about today, I got a letter last Friday, and it was from a group called America First Policies. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, saying that I had possibly been uh, taken off of the voter rolls, and they sent me a voter registration with a self-addressed envelope, you know, to send it back in and everything. I'm a mister, of course, and they call me a misers, and they spell my name. They put two L's on the end of it instead of one. Mm. But anyway, I've, I've reported it to the election uh, supervisor, mm. which is a Republican here in O'Brien, Florida, and they just kind of blew it off. Right. But what I'm thinking that maybe this is to get people to fill this out and mail it in. Then you got you're trying to register twice, and they take you off of the voter roll or something. I'm not. I'm, sure. I'm guessing, Jewel, that if you look at the return address on that thing, that it wasn't actually going to the Secretary of State, and it wasn't actually a voter registration. That what you were doing was signing up to be a a, a contributor to and a member of that super PAC. Do you still have the envelope? No, sure. Uh, I've got the envelope right here. Who's it addressed to? Swanee Supervisor of Election, oh, 20, really? Live Oak, Florida. And it's the right, the right address. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, it it was correct, but it's, it's a scam, I'm sure. I, you know, in all probability, although, you know, if they've done a massive uh, removal of people from the voting roll lists and, and they think that you're a Republican voter, uh, they might be trying to get you back on. Did you, when you called the election officials, did you find out if your uh, registration is still valid? Oh, I'm, I'm still there. I went online and looked, and I'm still yeah. there. Okay. I'm, okay. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. But so I'm spelling my name wrong. You know, they whoever sent this, and and it's it was uh, it's put out by this people America First policy. Right, um, which is a super PAC, I believe. You know. Yeah. yeah, and when I went and Googled that, it went straight to Mike Pence's website. Oh, really? <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Jewel, uh, you know, I, I don't have any advice beyond, you know, good good on you for, for keeping your eyes open, looking for these scams and, and checking your voter registration. That's all good, important stuff. I got to move along. Well, thank you for the call. Bob in Testonia, Idaho. Hey, Bob, what's up? Tetonia, Idaho, which is okay. right on the Idaho-Wyoming Tetonia. border okay. and just thank below you. Yellowstone National Park. Oh, it sounds like beautiful country, Bob. So what'd you call about? Follow the money, Tom. Follow the money. So I got thinking about contributions, and many times you have mentioned a PAC and a super PAC, and then nonprofit corporations that are designated by the IRS to be primarily for social purposes. Right. Now, they seem to be able to make political contributions now. And what is the difference between a PAC and, and you know, a super PAC? There are different pieces of the federal tax law, basically. Uh, super PACs are less regulated. Super PACs were invented as a way to get around. First of all, Congress tried to regulate individual contributions and corporate contributions. The Supreme Court blew that up. So Congress then came along and said, okay, well, we're going to regulate groups that are pulled together to pull together money on behalf of people, fundraising committees, they were called back in the day also known as political action committees. And so Congress then regulated those. And so then some slick lawyers got together and said, okay, we're going to do super PACs. They found another loophole, and Congress has not yet regulated super PACs, probably because most members of Congress have a super PAC. Why has the contributions to uh, the GOP political campaigns increased at such a dramatic rate uh, here now? The money raised by Trump, is uh, considerable. Yeah, it is. He's 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 raising more than the Democrats. Um, it's because he's. I mean, it's if if Trump raises a billion dollars, that's less money than a number of people you know who are his peers in the billionaire class got in tax breaks last year. I mean, you know, the, you've got companies that are you know the the, the tax breaks. I mean, we're talking one and a half trillion dollars in tax cuts. Um, in the last two years, that's $1,500 billion in tax cuts. So if these guys just take, you know, 1% or less than 1% of the tax cut they got and give it to Donald Trump as a thank you gift, that's a billion dollars or more than a billion dollars. It would be a billion and a half dollars. So you ask, why is it that the Republicans are raising money hand over fist and the Democrats are finding it a little harder to? Well, the Democrats' primary message is we want to do things for average working people and we're going to raise taxes on rich people and corporations to pay for it. We're going to raise them back to where they were prior to Reagan's coming into office or at the very least prior to George W. Bush. That's not a message that resonates well with the billionaire class and the big corporations. The Republicans are saying, we'll continue to cut your taxes. And not only that, we'll give you a special bonus. If you want to build a factory that's going to pollute the air, dump poison into the waters, uh, you know, you want to, you want to make uh, toys or products that are substandard, that's fine. We're going to deregulate all these things. We're going to deregulate the FDA. We're going to deregulate the EPA. We're going to deregulate our public lands. So you'll be making more profit as you poison the earth. And, you know, those guys are like, okay, cool. You know, our money's going to the Republicans. And, you know, the Democrats are left with asking average people for their contributions online. Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, between the two of them, pulling in more than $50 million in the last quarter. That's mind-boggling. But, you know, it's not going to be enough to run an election campaign. So we'll see where it goes. Stick around. Claire in Fort Worth. Hey, Claire, what's up? You know, we've talked before about voter security and elections down here in Tarrant County. Mm -hmm. And we're a real red county historically. The elections people have put in a fantastic system here. I've been helping people learn it. And it is so secure and so fantastic. Everybody gets a paper ballot. Mm -hmm. Our intake security is wonderful because nothing is online to anything except the registration logs go back to our central registration log to verify uh -huh. that whatever we need to do. We've done away with a ton of paperwork. We've made life really easier for our voters. They get a touch screen to vote on, then they get a paper ballot. 
So the touchscreen is basically driving a printer. Is that the deal? Yes, there's a little printer in the touchscreen. You get a blank piece of paper. You get an access code right. to get into but it. The, but the vote is not and being then, tabulated by the touchscreen. The, the vote is being tabulated by the piece of paper? Or is the paper a just a receipt? It's uh, the it's, piece of paper goes action. into the scanner. Okay, so the paper is the uh -huh. actual ballot. So basically it's a printing device yes. for ballots. That's great. Yes. That's great. Then and, we put it in the scanner, and they have like four opportunities to look at it right. before they drop it in that scanner. Right. Yeah, So that's great. It's amazing, and I highly recommend that other places look into this. Okay. Claire, thanks a lot for, the, for your every advocacy. Problem. Yep. Thank you for the call. Glenn in New York City. Hey, Glenn, what's up? If Bernie wins the nomination, it seems to me the Republicans are going to really make hay and do a lot of commercials about his heart attack. I think and no matter who wins the nomination, the Republicans are going to do a lot of commercials and make a lot of hay. If it's one of the women, they're going to be going after women. If it's Bernie, they'll be going after his heart attack and call him a socialist. If it's Joe Biden, they'll be talking about his son or about how old he is and he forgets things. I mean, whatever it's going to be, they're going to do it. And they're going to do it in as crass and underhanded a way as they possibly can. That's what Republicans do, Glenn. Yeah, I know. I know. So I, I don't think I don't think that we should be voting for or against any particular candidate. Uh, you know, or if it was Pete Buttigieg, oh my God, he's gay. Or you know, Andrew Yang, they'd figure out how to some some way to slip in some sleazy you know uh, anti-Asian racism. They will do this. We should not be voting or not voting for someone simply because of what the Republicans are going to say. We need to pick the best candidate and 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 put all our bets on the table. Yeah, it seems to me that a lot of us fence-setters between Warren and, and, and Bernie who considered them equal, mm -hmm. then now we're going to kind of slide to uh, Warren. Well, I, I think some of that is happening. I, you've got some people who supported Hillary before and they didn't like Bernie taking her on, and they may be more inclined to be progressive, and so uh, you know they, they would support Elizabeth Warren. You've got a, a lot of women who just, or a lot of people, you know, men and women, who think that you know having a woman president finally, hey, you know, it's time. Um, on the other hand, Bernie has been you know paying his dues since he was 17 years old and has been absolutely consistent all these years and and know. you know his fundraising numbers are great and he's pulling in great endorsements and huge crowds we're just going to have to see how it plays out and i'm not i'm not going to be putting my thumb on um, any scale beyond suggesting i'm not endorsing anyone in particular but i do think that we have two great solid progressives in bernie sanders and Elizabeth oh, yeah. Warren. And, oh, yeah. and if either one of them becomes the nominee i'll be Tickle pink, or whatever the phrase is. On the other hand, if we get if if it's anybody else, I will still do everything I can to get them elected because having Donald Trump in the White House for four more years, I believe, will be the end of our republic. Glenn, I got to move along, but thank you for the call, Howard in Muncie, Indiana. Hey, Howard, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Hey, Tom. There's three major issues for me in the election: climate change, healthcare, and the cost of college. Okay. And specifically with this last point, I, I don't understand why so many people are content with the cost of college these days. I just don't hear enough outrage about it. You know, I graduated in the mid-90s, bartended my way through school, graduated no debt. Nowadays, they can do the same, but they're graduating tens of thousands of dollars in debt. You're right. And I, I don't understand why the cost of college is so high. And I just, you know, it, there's a real there's a real simple uh, little bit of math that explains an awful lot of it. When Ronald Reagan came into office in 1980, roughly 80 percent of the cost of college was paid for by state, federal and local uh, governments and programs and college endowments. And 20 percent was paid for with tuition. Today, tuition pays for about 80 percent of the cost of college. And state, federal, local, and endowment support covers only about 20% of the cost of college. So there have been some costs that have gone up, mostly the salaries of the, of the university presidents, but that's really you know, just another thing that gets buried in a budget. The main thing has been that over the years, you've had four consecutive Republican administrations that have done everything they can to cut funding to higher education. And their cuts have been very successful and very effective to the point that 
college is now four times, five times more expensive than it used mm -hmm. to be because that support has gone. And the 80% support, by the way, was on the back end of the GI Bill, which was 100% support. And out of that, we learned that if we educate you know, our young people at no cost, that that produces an explosion of innovation mm -hmm. and, and new products and new companies, as we saw in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, as a consequence of people getting a good education on the GI Bill. And those people, and, and it paid for itself between seven and 10 times return on investment. For every dollar we spent to send somebody to go to college, we got between seven and $10 in additional tax revenue we wouldn't have gotten because as a college educated, mm -hmm. you know, as a college graduate, they're earning more money than they would have earned otherwise. And this is, of course, over their lifetimes. But, you know, we're, we're the only developed country in the world that doesn't make college either super affordable right. or free to our young people. We're literally the only one. We're the only country, developed country in the world that has where you can go bankrupt yeah. by, by getting sick. And we're the only country in the world where you can, can be in debt for the first 30 years of your working life because you, you had the temerity to go to college. Steve, thanks for the call. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book in today's Tom Hartman Book Club is by Harvey J.K., Professor Harvey K., Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. This is from the introduction. On December 1st, 1862, in the midst of the Civil War, just weeks before he was to issue the Emancipation Proclamation, President Abraham Lincoln delivered his annual message to Congress. Lincoln firmly believed that the United States had an historic responsibility to demonstrate to the world that people can govern themselves, make equal rights not just a self-evident truth but a manifest one, and create a political and economic order in which working people, both white and black, are not compelled to bow to anyone, neither aristocrats nor capitalists. Empowered by tens of thousands of black slaves who were already liberating themselves from bondage by escaping to the Union lines, and increasingly confident that the majority of his fellow Americans would recognize the truth of what he was saying, Lincoln closed his address by calling on them to see that the time had come to remember who they were and what that demanded. He told them that to save the nation and all that it represented, they must live up to the nation's declared revolutionary purpose and promise an act to radically enhance American freedom by bringing an end to slavery. This is a quote from Lincoln's address. Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest generation. We say we are for the Union. The world will not forget that we say this. We know how to save the Union. The world knows we do know how to save it. We even we here hold the power and bear the responsibility. In giving freedom to the slave, we assure freedom to the free, honorable alike in what we give and what we preserve. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth. End of quote from Lincoln. Back to Harvey. We, too, cannot escape history. Our own struggle to save the nation and the promise it proclaims has begun. Finally, after more than 40 years of fear-driven class war and culture war campaigns against the democratic achievements of generations, the hard-won rights of workers, women and people of color, and the very memory of how they were secured, and now both in the wake of the election debacle of 2016, which gave the presidency to the corrupt, mendacious, racist, sexist, and treacherous demagogue Donald Trump, and continued control of Congress to the formerly conservative but increasingly reactionary Republican Party, and in the face of intensified class and culture war campaigns, we the people have come not only to recognize that American democratic life is in jeopardy, but also to mobilize in hopes of saving it. Millions of us have rallied to the resistance and expressed our democratic fears and desires in action. In the historic Women's March and March of For Our Lives of Young People, the protests, demonstrations, and legal actions to defend the lives and rights of immigrants and refugees, the Me Too movement to combat sexual assault and harassment, the massive teacher strikes for higher pay and better funding of public schools in states red and blue, and the enthusiastic canvassing and campaigning for a blue wave to win back Congress in the 2018 midterm elections. But resistance is not enough. The time has come for us to remember who we are and what that demands. 
The time has come for us to embrace our radical history. The history of how a generation of Americans, high and low, and in all their diversity, not only turned their colonial rebellion into a war for independence, but also imbued American life, whether they all intended it or not, with radical imperative and impulse by declaring a revolutionary promise of freedom, equality, and democracy for all. The history of how generations of radicals and reformers served as the prophetic memory of that promise and how generations of ordinary men and women, native-born and immigrant, struggled to make real the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and to expand not only the we in we the people, but also the powers of the people. And most especially in view of the crises we ourselves face, the history of how our greatest generations confronted and prevailed over the forces that threatened to destroy the nation and bury its revolutionary promise in the 1770s, 1860s, and 1930s and 1940s, not to mention the 1960s, by acting to make the United States, both inspired by Washington, Lincoln, and FDR, and pushing them to go farther than they might otherwise have gone, radically freer, more equal, and more democratic than ever before. The time has come to take hold of that history and make America radical again. I've titled this collection of my speeches and essays, Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again, for reasons that will become obvious. And yet I cannot help but confess that if I had had to title it otherwise, I would have been sorely tempted to use, with full attribution, the title Max Lerner gave to his 1938 work, It Is Later Than You Think, The Need for a Militant Democracy. While it may not seem so, the crisis we face is no less demanding of action urgent action than that which confronted his generation. The book Take Hold of Our History by Harvey J.K. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.